Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata Mornings. Philly, we're a part of, a, I think, the youngest staff in the NFL, uh, but that's not really uh, why I'm hiring the people that I'm hiring. It's more so what I'm looking for in the hiring process of who I want the assistants to be, whether it be running the offense or the defense, the position coaches, the quality controls, analysts, assistants, special teams, all that, you know, and, and I'm, you're going to hear me say it all the time is we're looking for the right people uh, with the right capacity and the right character and then people that want to be Cardinals. And um, I'm very confident after, you know, working on this staff for however, you know, five days or whatever, you know, all the work that you had done before that, getting ready for this position. But getting in the seat and then doing that, um, I'm, ex- I'm, ex- I'm very excited about the people we got coming in this building and, and more, so, more so than for me, for our players. And uh, they, they will get to know those guys and they'll see that too. It's Jonathan Gannon yesterday at the Nick Rollis introductory press conference. We met the D.C., the new defensive coordinator, part of that youth movement that Gannon was talking about there. That youth movement also includes a 35-year-old first-time offensive coordinator and Drew Petzing, who comes to Arizona yeah. from the Cleveland Browns. We'll get a better idea of what he's all about at his press conference today. And I'm, Jonathan, looking for, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. Jonathan Gannon will join us tomorrow for Newsmakers that Week. Is, that is correct, too. Michael Bidwell coming up later on in the uh, 7 o'clock hour nice. for two segments as Newsmakers Week continues. Uh, we were just talking off the air, Bick, uh, after our interview with, with Monty Ossenfort. Um, nobody knows how this is going to turn out. But in the now, just with this influx of youth and energy and different viewpoints and vantage points on what the Arizona Cardinals are, where what they need to be, and how do they get there, it is, it's a refreshing change right now. Mm-hmm. I think last season dragged everybody down so much, obviously to the point where new leadership was needed. Michael Bidwill talked about it um, and has delivered on what he talked about back on January 9th when those changes were made with Steve Keim and Cliff Kingsbury. You know, the results are still up in the air. Uh, I think this is going to be a process that takes some time, but... Man, it's it's kind of an elixir yeah. for what this Cardinals fan base needed after we, what was yeah, a difficult listen, year. And, and again, I, I think we have we have all as a sports town we've spent a lot of time in the rearview mirror when it comes to the Arizona Cardinals, and part of it's because it's been that dysfunctional, dysfunctional, and part of it is there's still a lot of unsolved mysteries that, uh, that are kind of attached to last season. But I, I think that fundamentally, two things have occurred here that give me hope for the future. Getting a GM in here with with a different viewpoint on how to build a football team and and I don't think his draft record could be any worse than the guy that he's succeeding. No. That that had to be integral to this team going forward. You can't operate with a GM who's Hitting like Mario Mendoza. Look, Google it. <laughs> you, you There's a reason why they call it the Mendoza line. Right. They, they, right. So you, you can't win with the GM who's whiffing that often in the draft. So fundamentally, that has changed. And it's from somebody from the outside. So I'm. that's all very, very good stuff. And then you've heard me talk to me uh, talk about what I really thought was a fundamental issue before, and that was the upside-down hierarchy uh, of the power structure in Arizona, where the GM was way too involved as a GM, 
where the head coach was way too much like an offensive coordinator, way too reliant on the GM, where he didn't mind having his assistant coach coaches handed to him. Cliff, to the very end, never really felt to me, comfortable in his skin or comfortable, and with those abs, I don't know why he wouldn't be, comfortable (laughs) in that position. Do you know what I mean? Comfortable in that position where where you could walk into a locker room and throw over a table and just start dropping bombs and you, why won't you give me, he he never felt that comfortable and that belonging. That's such, you, man such that a great point. We talked about that so much and, and, and the difference. Jonathan Gannon on the job for a week is just... Night and day. So, and, Night and, and day. And, and a lot of it is just perception and a lot of it is you know your comfort level and dealing with those situations, but that comfort never really grew with yeah. Cliff Kingsbury you know, as his time as head coach. Do you remember Cliff coming out and saying at the halftime of his first game versus the Lions... He felt so uncomfortable that he could be fired at any time. Mm-hmm. What did I get myself into? Yeah. It felt like he never fully shedded that. He never well, fully what, what got gave rid it of it away? The one painting on the wall of his house? Okay, <laughs> it was I, again, a big painting I, I, of Leo the Lion. Not, we're not going down this lane yes. because we're, we're going to keep this thing pointed forward. So, t- so to me, I think when you take a look now, at least the hierarchy, it sounds and looks and starting to feel like a way a football team should. Yeah. Where the GM is in charge of this and the head coach is in charge of this and boom, let's do this. Yeah. Let's go. Totally agree. Looking forward to talking <laughs> yeah. to Michael Bidwell later on in the 7 o'clock hour. Newsmakers Week continues. Diamondbacks. Just two days away from their spring training opener, believe it or not. We'll talk to their skipper, Tori Lovello, here on Newsmakers Week. It's Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Newsmakers Week with Bickley and Marana Mornings. The Arizona Diamondbacks. Yeah, Diamondbacks getting ready to start. Cactus League play baseball season is here. Here to join us for Newsmakers Week. The manager of the Arizona Diamondbacks, Tori Lavello, checks in on the Arizona Sports Line. Tori, good morning. Thanks for joining us Tori! today. Hey, good morning, guys. Good to be with you. It's been a long runway, so uh, happy we're back. Happy we can chat it up. Yeah, how would uh, you know? How did you feel about the off season? How do you feel about some of the changes that have been made to the roster going into this year, Tori? I feel very good about it. Um, first of all, our front office um, hit up a bunch of needs. Uh, at the end of the season, we had some conversations, and uh, they addressed some things that we all talked about as a group. And uh, we know what they are, and we have a very healthy set of um, athletes that have stepped into this camp, and they're ready to compete. So I feel really good about the, the roster, the construction of it, um, and where we're at right now. There's a certain energy in this camp that is very positive. Uh, we all know what took place the back end of last year. Uh, we know we know what, what, what started to take place. There, there was something that hatched inside of this clubhouse, but um, the, the caveat is that we got to go out there and execute and do it at a high level to win baseball games. You can't just throw names out there and expect to win. We got to find a way to get it done. All right, a lot of people obviously are, are looking for even bigger years from your young core of young prospects. I, I heard the owner talk about how the Diamondbacks, for the first time in anyone's memory, have four of the top fifteen or four of the top fifteen in Major League Baseball. But, but as a corollary to that, it seems like like this talent might be married to the incoming changes in Major League Baseball. Can you address all of that? 
Yeah, uh, definitely overlapping. First of all, um, when we when we came here six years ago uh, as a group, we stepped in and we knew that there was going to be um, a little, little bit of a, a lapse in time with trying to get the, the right athletes, the right players. Nothing nothing bad about the guys that were here, but we knew that there was going to be a strong turnover, a large turnover of, of players that were here when we currently got here or when we got here. Uh, currently, we have a very athletic team um, and a credit to, to the group that put them put them in this clubhouse right now. And that, that's a lot of the scouting that's gone on in Amiel, Sade, Derek, Derek Ladnier and his group. So we're proud of that. On top of that, now it just kind of fell into our lap that they made all these rule changes. These rule changes um, are going to, you know, they're trying to create a little bit of offensive excitement, like a little bit of stolen base excitement. And that fits right into our game yes. plan. That's who we are. We're good hitters. And we're fast athletes that get around the bases as fast as anybody. So it should, you know, like I said, it fell into our lap. So we're good already in that area, but we want to enhance it by by um, by checking the rules and and, and making a, making it happen on a higher level and a little faster pace. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the rule changes, and I, I know you like the one about the you know the limited pickoff moves and the bigger bases, as you mentioned. But with the rule changes that are coming into play, how much time have you had to spend early on this spring going over those rules, preparing for those rules with your players, and is there a rule that you maybe don't like as much as the others that 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 you're kind of wary of going into the season Tori not, not really. Um, I, you know, we accept all the rule changes. Um, we're grateful for the amount of time that Major League Baseball puts into um, these rule changes, and and we know that it's to enhance the fan experience. And, and the games were, you know, going a little bit too long in their opinion. So I'm I am 100 percent okay with it. And you were down with us a little bit last year, so you understand how we prepare and the things that we talk about um, on a daily basis. I am very hypersensitive to the rule changes. I want us to be 100 percent comfortable when we step on the mound. Uh, game one in Dodger Stadium that we do not hear any black noise and we know where we are and know what to do with all of these rule changes. Yeah, I am a little concerned. There's 15 seconds. It's going to be a new normal for these pitchers, but we're going to we're going to we're going to try to simulate that the best we can through practice and prep. So when they get there, they're ready to compete. All right, a cynic might say, "All right, this sounds all great, but how are you going to compete with the Dodgers and the Padres?" And more to the point, um, is has the industry kind of jumped? the shark a little bit when it comes to allowing the high-end spenders to spend whatever they want. It has it, the payroll disparity in Major League Baseball is a day of reckoning coming, or can you get this done in di- with different paths and different lanes? <laughs> you, you got it's a good question. Um, something that we talk about here, and we never complain about it. We embrace that. We love the fact that our payroll is at or near 100 million dollars, and we got to find a way to compete with teams that are close to 300 million dollars. And we actually accept that challenge and love that challenge. It just makes us be a little bit better. It makes every person that walks into this clubhouse try. To, they got to try to figure out a way to win those margins, and we we categorize that as winning inches. There's inches all over a baseball field, not just for players. It's Medical staff, it's front office, it's coaches, it's players, uh, and we got it. We got to just be a little bit better, and we pride ourselves on that. You know, we like going into into Dodger Stadium or San Diego and finding a way to win a game that other teams might not be able to because we executed a very high level on something that nobody even thinks about. 
So in working through that, we know what our challenges are. We love it. We embrace it. And look, when you're playing against some of the best teams and the best players, you're bound to get better. And that's what we enjoy. We, we want to get better every single day and keep pushing this thing forward. Tori Lovello, Diamondbacks manager, our guest here on Newsmakers Week on Arizona Sports. There was so much talk, and, and for good reason, Tori, about the bullpen. It was not a strength last year. I think there were real efforts by Mike Hazen and, and, and his team to, to beef up the bullpen. You get uh, Andrew Chafin back. You add some power arms to that bullpen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, on paper, it looks improved. How do you feel about the bullpen right now? Uh, and I'm still curious about the, the, the closer position, how you view that going into the season. Is, is that up for grabs in your mind? Yeah, very much so. Um, I, um, it's, it's a very fluid situation. That's a word I use with with uh, with the group here on day one. I don't know what that answer is. And um, look, I, I, you, you guys have traditionally seen me um, name a closer before spring training ends. Uh, that's not going to be the case. I'm going to I'm going to try to find the right guy in the right inning to get the right outs. And we have some really good names. You know, Mark Melanson did a very high level for a long time. Last year there were some bumps in the road. Uh, we've got some other names that are inside of camp that have closed in some big settings. Where that plays out and how that plays out, I don't know. I got to see some things. I got to watch some of this play out with these guys getting the knees in spring training, and I want to see what it looks like. And it's not just the results; it's the data, it's the mound presence, it's the stuff in the hitting zone. What is it doing in the hitting zone? Uh, and we're gonna we're gonna take the the best eight relievers forward with us, and and help us win some baseball games. So yeah, I, I, look. At the end of the year last year, we sat down as a group and we thought, where where were we deficient? What do we have to work on? And Brent who's architect of what we're doing here from a pitching standpoint, said we need more power. So I can't – if you come out here, there are balls whizzing by at 95, 100 miles an hour. It's impressive. So we've got a lot of power. And uh, that was his request, and he's going to go to work with what he has. All right, I can't believe you are entering year seven as the Diamondbacks manager. As Devin Booker once said, you've seen some bleep in your time. Uh, I noticed last year you set a career high in ejections, Tori, so you're trending in that direction. And now you've been around long enough where Nick, your son, is in the Cubs coaching system. How do you feel about all of that? It, it's, it's quite something. It's a journey you've been on. But in a way, yeah. I like this. The franchise has said, look, we like our GM. We like our manager. We're going to roll with them. We're going to ride with them through the tough and the good and the bad and the ugly. And here we are. Yeah, I'm honored by that. Um, I, I love our owner and Ken Kendrick, and uh, he has been very fair to me. He's been very honest with me, and he's challenged me to be better every single day. So um, we know the challenges that we've had, and I'm honored that I'm starting my seventh year here. Is it something that I thought about? Of course it was. I, I came here to help this organization push forward and win a world championship, and I know that's a dream of Mike Hazen's as well. So we share all that with the ownership. We're, we're, we have that as a common denominator, and uh, uh, yeah, I, I've seen a lot in this game, and uh, we want to keep moving the ball forward. We want to win world championships, and not just one. We want to climb that the top of that mountain and, and stay there for a long, long time. But, um, you know, we've got a lot of work to do. It's not going to happen overnight. We're, we're getting there. we we got this process pushed in the right direction, and it's going to play out in a very fun way this year. I wanted to ask you, Tori, about the acquisition of Evan Longoria, the, you know, big-time veteran uh, presence, uh, guy who wanted to be here when he became a free agent. He signed here. What have you seen? What has he brought to the clubhouse early on? And how do you envision using him? Do you think it'll be a true platoon at, at third base this year? Yeah, you know what? I'm going to give a plug to uh, Andreoli's restaurant. The owner of Andreoli's told me that he <laughs> yeah. recruited Evan to play here. He told me he got really? a player, and Evan listened to him over everything else. So, um, you know, in talking to him this off season, I told him he's a good baseball player. I've seen him do it do it 
for the past 10 years in the AL East when he was with Tampa Bay. So um, we know what he's capable of doing. You know, we just have to be mindful of his age. we got to give him the right innings, the right amount of time, and let him perform at a high level. I want to keep him as close to 100% all season long. And if he does that, he's going to help us win some baseball games. And the thing that I outlined to him, because of his age, everybody assumes that he's going to come in here like a grandpa and he's going to he's going to share his wisdom with the young players. That's secondary for me. That's what he does innately. He's going to go out there and have conversations just because he is a sharer and he's a good teammate. Number one, the priority is for him to go out and perform, and I know he wants to do that. And he's a good baseball player that can help us win games. Where that takes him, I don't know. There's a certain amount of games played that we have in mind at third base. There's a certain amount of games played that we have in mind at designated hitter. But we just got to make sure that he's 100% for the entire season. Well, Tori, thanks so much for joining us today right in the middle of uh, camp. We appreciate it. Best of luck, and hopefully we can chat again real soon. Okay, boys. I look forward to talking to you. Thank you. Tori Lovello, manager of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Our most recent guest here on Newsmakers Week, day three. It continues. We'll have two segments coming up with the owner of the Arizona Cardinals, Michael Bidwell. But first, Sarah will take us through the big stories of the day with the Rush Hour reboot. And then it's all guest radio after that. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings Newsmakers Week here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Rush Hour Reboot. Rush Hour Reboot. Getting you up to speed on everything happening in sports this morning. Brought to you by Brooklyn Betting. Arizona built for America's dreams. Hello, everyone. A very happy Thursday to you here on Bickley and Murata Mornings on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. We are just flying through today's show. And uh, among the nine guests that we have on today for Newsmakers Week, we are still making time for the Rush Hour Reboot so we can get you caught up on all the big stories of the day. I'm Sarah Cazell taking you through those stories with Dan Bickley. Hey. With Vince Murata. Be our guest. With nine with nine guests, we had to, we had to pay. Oh, Some you know who does the voice right. of the candlestick in Beauty of the Beast? Oh, I'm I'm sure you know every understudy who's ever been <laughs> on any Broadway p- play of it. Who who was it? Jerry Orbach. Jerry Orbach, that's right, yeah. from Law and Order. And who's that supposed to be? He was from Law and Order. He, he was oh, okay. the, for many years. You would he recognize was, him. So he was right. baby's dad in Dirty that's Dancing. I thought Orbach was the popcorn guy. <laughs> right. That's what. And Jared Carlin. <laughs> The Diamondbacks are so much fun. Oh, oh, wow. He did? You asked for that. Nobody ever asks for your musical styling. Stop saying that. Was that from last year? Oh, it was years years ago. I was wondering. It was probably from their playoff run when they played the Rockies. Tremendous. Well, as Vince alluded to with his will be our guest nugget. Uh, today is day three of Newsmakers Week. We have nine guests today. We've already had two great guests and uh, Cardinals GM Monty Austin Ford actually got things started for us at 645 this morning. He spoke about bringing in another quarterback this offseason with Kyler Murray, of course, out and rehabbing his ACL injury. Kyler's been in the building the last two weeks. The first priority for, for us is getting Kyler healthy um, and that's, you know, getting him in a place where he's ready to go and do the things that, that we've all seen him do before. As it, it pertains to adding other pieces to the roster, that's something that we're going to evaluate. You know, Colt, uh, Colt McCoy's here. He's been working hard. He's going to be ready to go this spring. Um, you know, and we're going to evaluate the quarter, quarterback position and really every position on the team. 
Okay, Montias and Fort also spoke about the future of DeAndre Hopkins, something Cardinals fans are very, very curious about. And he said he and the receiver had a great conversation not too long ago. Yeah, I had a great talk with D-Hop a couple weeks ago. It was great. You know, I just kind of explained to him what what my philosophy was, kind of the same things that I've told you. Uh, it was a great conversation. Um, you know, again, like uh, D-Hop's been a great player in this league for a long time. Uh, I'm excited to work with him. And, you know, I think any roster decisions of that were in the very early stages right now. All right, we have to cut it out for time, but Austin Fort wrapped up talking about Hopkins by saying he's excited to have D-Hop on the team with him right now. Mm. What were your guys' biggest takeaways from that conversation with Austin Fort? I think um, for me, it was just kind of a realization that Monty Austin Ford has and how much work there is to do on this roster. Bick Full asked plate. a question about, you know, uh, how. <laughs> I think you phrased it this way too. How bad is this roster yeah. right now? Well, again, uh, I mean, let's speak plain. Yeah. I, I, yeah. It's not a mystery. I mean, it was evident on, on the field last year. So um, he realizes what, what he's in for. And this, there's a lot of work to be done. Yeah. I, I think as it relates to DeAndre Hopkins, I still don't think the calculus adds up for him to be back next season. Um, but but I asked him that because I saw that he had been effusive of his meeting with him, and I thought, okay, yeah. um, you never know. You know, you, you never know if this fresh new energy um, speaks to DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, I, I just, I think when you look at salary, you look at the fact that he's going to want another new deal if he stays, that he's going to want another right. 50 mil guaranteed. It, it just, none of it adds up to me. Right. So, so what adds up to me is that this is a piece that Monty Austin Ford is going to have to trade at some point in time. Okay. But but again, they're not at that point. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving right along to the Phoenix Suns, Kevin Durant very likely will not make his debut tomorrow night against the Thunder, as we had previously thought. Uh, yesterday, the Athletics, Shams Tarania, ESPN's Brian Windhorst, and Flex from Jersey, all at different times of the day, indicated that it's looking more like next Wednesday against Charlotte on the road. Uh, about an hour before those reports came out, or at least Sharania's report came out. James Jones, the Suns GM and president of basketball operations, uh, he was straight up asked, have you ruled out KD for Friday night's game? The next game would be Friday against the Thunder. Have you ruled him out for that game? No, we have not. We haven't ruled him out yet. He also said that he could not give a clear timeline of when Durant would play. No, I can't. Um, I I can say I'm pretty... It's just one of those things where I think over the next, you know, like we have a practice tomorrow, uh, we'll get a better gauge of where he is tomorrow. Uh, but he, he's close. Uh, I just can't tell you exactly when he'll play, but I, I know he's close. So if he does get pushed back to next Wednesday or beyond that, is there anything for Suns fans to be worried about? Um, I don't think so. I think it's an overabundance of caution. I hate that phrase, and I just used it, and I will <laughs> I will put a quarter in the jar for using it, but that's what I think yeah. it boils down to. Yeah, uh, and again, it, it, to me, I think Kevin Durant, it, this is this is something where he's played basketball on a court with Devin Booker before. Mm-hmm. It, they've they've done this. He's been in different organizations. None of this is going to be new. It, it really doesn't get – I don't think – I think you kind of get lost in the weeds if you get hung up on, oh, he's not, not Friday. Uh-oh, what does that mean? Well, whatever. You know, whatever. It's, you would like it to happen at home. 
personally, I think it'd be kind of a fun thing. Totally. But but at the same time, I'm I'm not certain that they're not that he's not playing tomorrow night either. Okay. I, I just think that the hype for it was just is already getting out of control. Uh-huh. I'm sure I'm sure on some level the Suns wouldn't mind. I, let me scratch that. I'm sure KD wouldn't mind the hype backing up a little bit because uh-huh. he's at the center of this. And yeah. So this is his call. This isn't the Suns' call. They're not going to dictate when Kevin Durant steps on the basketball court. Yeah. Sure. And go back. I mean, tamping down that that uh, that hype. He seemed almost embarrassed by the, oh, yeah. the greeting he got Stop at the press conference. So th- yeah. there was that. Yeah. Stop so, cheering for me. Right. Like, it's if, true. If we could have a song of the day today, it would have to be Whenever, Wherever by Shakira. Yeah. But unfortunately, we don't have time for song of the day today. I was always partial to Hips Don't Lie. But <laughs> <laughs> well, well done, Sarah. Well done, Sarah. Thank you. Rush Hour Reboot every morning at 7.30. Coming up next, our first of two segments, our conversation with Cardinals owner in a busy time, Michael Bidwell, joining us in studio here on Newsmakers Week. Bickley and Murata Mornings, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Newsmakers Week with Bickley and Murata Mornings, the Arizona Cardinals. That exciting time for the Arizona Cardinals. We've already spoken with their new general manager, Monty Asenfort. We'll speak to their new head coach, Jonathan Gannon, tomorrow. But right now, in uh, studio joining us, the man in charge of the Arizona Cardinals, the owner, Michael Bidwell, kind enough to uh, join us in studio here at the Oxygen Community Studios. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Good morning. It's great to see you in person. Yeah. Likewise. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and at a busy time for you. Can, you. can you breathe a little bit now at the Super Bowl in the rearview mirror, the coaching stuff all done? Man, it was busy. Uh, and it, it started back in December, and it, you know it was just go, go, go. And I, I just want to thank everybody on our organization because, you know, in the history of these things, nobody's ever had to hire GM, a head coach, and then host a Super Bowl a few weeks later. I didn't want to take my focus off of those first two items, so there were a lot of people in our organization that really stepped up to make sure that we did everything we could do to just knock Super Bowl 57 out of the park, and I think we did. I think you did, too. Out out of the three, I was going to ask you, out of the GM, the head coach, and the Super Bowl, which one turned out best? I'm not going to put you on the spot like that, (laughs) but let's let's ask you about the Super Bowl, because that is a dramatic undertaking, even mid way through the week, Roger Goodell seemed to be very effusive in the way everything was coming off. Downtown Phoenix looked probably more adult than it has in a long period of time. Just your thoughts. Give us some some reflection on the Super Bowl. I thought it was outstanding. I think the Valley did a great job. This, the whole state came together. Uh, you look at all the, you know, and some of this started years ago with the investment in the infrastructure here, new roads, e- expansion of all the, the, the airports, which is huge, because <clears throat> we knew we were going to have record attendance. Um, just everything went great. And so those investments that were made just not only in the infrastructure but also in the stadium new restaurants new resorts new everything that uh, really made the valley shine made our state really put it on center stage and i i think we did a great job um and so I, I think everything came together. We, we put over $200 million into the stadium. I know people were really impressed with all the new elements at State Farm Stadium as well. Yeah, Michael, it looked great. Michael Bidwell, our guest in studio for Newsmakers Week, focusing now on the Arizona Cardinals. And a lot of this conversation is going to be looking toward the future. As I mentioned, this is an exciting time, but uh, a tumultuous season, no doubt. How, how would you characterize 
basically the last year and a half. I know you made reference to it in your press conference on January 9th about, hey, 10-2 on top of the world. I don't think you expected to be here. So how would you describe last season in summing it up? Uh, extremely disappointing. Uh, and then, you know, I don't want to spend much time. No. I know you guys don't no. either. No. You know, I'm glass half full. Let's move forward. Look yeah. through the front windshield and forget about the rearview mirror. Uh, you know, we've ripped the Band-Aid off. It was wholesale changes. And uh, I'm really pleased with where we've ended up. Yeah. And, and I think you deserve a lot of uh, praise for that because those were not easy decisions to make. So let's start with your general manager. You hired somebody from the outside, Monty Austin Ford. We just visited with him. Very impressive guy. What sold you on him? His plan. Simply put, his plan, and if you look at his background, in addition to his plan, I had a lot of faith in his plan because he spent years at New England. He was back. They was invited back there twice. Uh, in talking to Robert Kraft, they'd have him back in a minute. He was a big loss when when he left, and um, and then his plan. He's got a plan. It's a it's a modified New England plan about how we're going to acquire talent. You know, both through the draft and free agency, the types of players we're going to look for. It marries up very well with Jonathan Gannon uh, in his vision for players and how we're going to run an offense, how we're going to run a defense and special teams as well. So I think it's his plan, his discipline, and um, I- I'm excited about watching him evaluate because we're at the very beginning stages of evaluating every position, every player, but I know that's going to happen quickly. And uh, in, in, in sort of, we're sort of changing the tire and driving the car down the road at the same time because these guys leave to the, to the combine next week. So so mm-hmm. it's go time now, yeah. and we have they, these guys have been working their rear ends off, and we're still not done. We're nearly done completing the coaching staff, uh, but I think you'll see some announcements here in the in the coming days. How much? Uh, and we talked to Monty about this too, about what he learned about the organization being new to the organization in the coaching interview process. How much did you learn about your own organization in your process in interviewing general manager candidates? I think I think we learned uh, a lot, and I, I think you know it's it's not just the things you're doing and your your talent on your roster, but this is what is great about these searches, and I want to thank three people in particular, because when I started this project or process, you know, I I invited three people to participate with me. Mark Dalton, our Senior Vice President of Communications and Media here, uh, as well as uh, Lisa Manning, uh, our Senior Vice President of Marketing and Business Operations, and Sean Mayo, our Chief People Officer. I asked them to all join me, and I told them at the beginning of the journey, I said, we're going to learn so much it's going to be a free look into a lot of different organizations and a lot of different ways to do it. And um, so what I, I think we learned is not only different ways to coach, but also different ways to acquire talent and different ways to look at talent. And then lastly, you know, where is this performance, player development, and sports science space today, and are we lagging? And where where do we need to make additional investments? And that that's, that's sort of the next yeah. area that we're really going to be focused on. All right, before we get to Jay, because there's a lot to get to with him and his energy is stupendous. I want to ask you about Sean Payton because it looked like the time you spent with him, it looked like you guys got along swimmingly. I, I don't know. Do you guys go all the way back to being ball boys together in St. Louis? Do you have that kind of connection? Well, I'm, we, we, I, I don't remember him specifically, but I remember a group of, of players because he was a player at Eastern Illinois mm-hmm. University. Right. And uh, and I was, I was working at training camp as well. So I m- remember interacting with all those guys. I don't remember 
remember specifically Sean, but as soon as Sean got into the league, you know, we hit it off because every time he would see my dad, it was he'd, he'd drop everything and come over and Mr. B and you know, like like a kid at, at training camp right. coming over to see uh, uh, see my dad. But in any case, he 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 and I have a long relationship to go way back, and and his the interview with him was excellent as well. I mean, he's got a, a wealth of football knowledge in terms of the way he does things, and 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 it's it, the, you know sort of the psychology of how you motivate players, both in a positive and in a reinforcement way. And uh, so we spent a lot of time. The issues around um, uh, around Coach Payton were had nothing to do with the money, the compensation that we would be paying him. It was mm-hmm. all the compensation, the the draft compensation to right. the Saints, and we just weren't willing to go what with what the Saints wanted uh, us to give up. It would would have been too costly to the team for us to rebuild that roster, and and it was really a series of trade offs. And I still felt like we've got great coaches out there that can that can you know get this team turned around. I think we were right when you look at JG. That's a very interesting thing to have to figure out is how much is a head coach worth in terms of player assets? How did you guys do that calculations? Well, when they're asking a lot, it was it was, <laughs> it was like okay, we're going to have yeah, some, a couple of conversations. And we're going we're going to see if we can we can structure this in a different way, which was was some of the ideas that that I brought. They were unwilling to to structure it in a different way, and you know while we were hoping that that uh, you know there there wasn't uh, you know uh, somebody out there that would pay that compensation because you know we knew if there was you know we're we're probably out of it, and then and then it, it oh. came together with Denver, but we were still. Uh, but having said that, okay. we knew there were great coaches out there. So if you know some of those in that category of um, some of, some of the deals you do, you know we're going to be really happy. And versus the deals you don't do, we're going to be really happy with those draft choices this year and next year that we'll have on at the draft that will help us get this team better quickly. And the coaching search ends with, with Jonathan Gannon. Yes. And, and I know some people with the way the timetable shook out, Michael. They'll say, wow, they were just waiting for Gannon the whole time. That not necessarily the case. Can you kind of clarify that that whole process and, and, and the end result of Jonathan Gannon being here? Yeah, and let me let me just take a couple of steps back because I think it's it also it, it shines a light on why Monty Ossenfort set himself apart. He set himself apart not just because of his plan, but a year ago he was going through interviews and, and the year before that he was on a lot of people's lists. He knew he was going to get a chance to be a general manager. Mm-hmm. So what did he do last year after throwing a bunch of names out. Here's my names. Here are the guys I'd like to go after. He he was he realized, hey, I haven't talked to some of these people, and I'm just dealing and just recommending them based on their reputation and their record that I know from, you know, seeing them play or, or, or coach. And so what he did is last year, he took all his free time, and he spent time interviewing coaches. No other general wow. manager candidate did that. Mm-hmm. So he did his own interviews, knowing that, hey, if I get a chance to be in front of an owner again, I'm going to be able to say, yeah, I interviewed this person, that person, and here's why these people are on my list. Jonathan Gannon was at the top of his list. Aaron Glenn was number two. There were, and, and I don't know that the initially when he gave me the, his names that he had listed them in, in, in order of preference. He was just throwing out names, yeah. and I'm writing them down. Um, it was in a telephone conversation before we even spoke, and what I, I that was the thing that really set him apart is this guy had the foresight, the vision, and to just weed out the chaff because he told me and he told us, the interview team, there were people on his list that he thought, man, I'm going to love this this coach. Mm-hmm. 
he interviewed him and he took him off their list off wow. his list and then there were other coaches that he heard a little bit about and he got even more excited about Jonathan Gannon was one of those and same with Aaron Glenn and <clears throat> so it was clear when we we were going through his list we had some of our own names that we we, we were presenting um, and we put together this this group of, of, of head coaches he was the most prepared he had already had some of the preliminary conversations and there was a reason why he had that list mm-hmm. and and again he was ahead of everybody else in that department. Cardinals owner Michael Bidwell, our in-studio guest. Michael's been kind enough to stick around for a second segment, so we'll get more into Jonathan nice. Gannon and the uh, future of the Arizona Cardinals straight ahead as Newsmakers Week continues here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.